We're joined by Kevin Lonquist from SikkimSports.com. Kevin, how you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Good to have, good to be with you. Hey, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to jump on here with us. Recruiting day tomorrow. What's uh, give us a little uh, thirty-five thousand foot overview of this? Maybe the possibility what Baylor's looking at in this class that uh, they're trying to sign starting tomorrow. Sure, they're going to be signing seventeen. Uh, their class and our rivals' rankings are right at fifty, so basically a little bit better than halfway. Uh, they've made two additions at wide receivers in the last two weeks. They picked up a uh, slot receiver for the departure of Roderick Daniels, a young man by the name of uh, Monterey Baldwin. He's out of Colleen Shoemaker. That was on the first of this month. And then earlier th- uh, this week on Monday, they got the commitment of Cameron Bonner, uh, receiver out of Houston St. Thomas. And he basically takes the spot where Hal Presley left off. But I think overall, uh, I think two of the things to look at for this class is that it's very solid at wide receiver obviously Jordan Jenkins the tremendous running back from Lindale who's going to be who's approaching 3,000 yards going into Friday night's uh, state championship game uh, against Argyle and then you have uh, Kyron Drones the talented quarterback out of Alvin Shadow Creek uh, who's uh, who committed to Baylor basically uh, about 10 days after he committed it or after he got the offer from them in April so that's your 35,000 foot level if you will uh, I think it's a pretty solid class obviously they would like to get a couple more on the defensive defensive line and perhaps on the offensive line, but I think you're probably going to look at perhaps them looking at the JUCO route and in the grad transfer uh, market. You were talking about Jordan Jenkins, Kevin, and you know all year long the the running game was kind of been an issue for Baylor, but you had the younger guys step up. You had Quaylen Jones, Tay McWilliams that had a lot of success. How does Jordan fit in with that group, and, and what are your ex- expectations for him? Well, I think with Jordan's case is I think it's it's a matter of how much does Larry Fedora want to use him during the course of the year because I think you know and don't forget too you're going to have Squirrel coming back next mm-hmm. year uh, provided that he's back from the knee injury and he'll be good to go for fall camp. But you know you've got so if you're presuming those three and then if Tristan Ebner comes back, but I expect Tristan if he does you're looking at him as a slot. But I, I could foresee. That and then you then I then you left then you leave out Jonah White. But I, I I don't know if Jordan will instantly burst onto the scene. I could see them gradually working him in. But I think we can all agree with this running game that averaged what 90 yards a game this year uh, needs to find some consistency, and it really needs to. And, and I'm really I'm really excited about what Tay can bring to this offense next year. Now going back to Jordan, I think from his standpoint of just understanding what life is going to be like uh, at the at the P5 level. And he's going to be coming from a small East Texas town. He really needs to get through a full year, in my judgment, of a strength and conditioning program so that he would be ready for in what I would view as 2022. You know, if they, again, keep in mind, you can play four games and not burn a red shirt uh, if 2021 is a normal year like we typically would expect. With Jaquinta Jackson decommitting earlier from Texas, do you think Baylor tries to make a run at him? Well, I mean, if he does, he's going to have to. He would lose a year of eligibility. That's the problem with when you transfer within the conference. Uh, and so, I don't know if that would be a, a viable option for him. I mean, he's certainly talented enough, and we saw what he did at Duncanville. I, uh, again, obviously, that's all new, but that that's the risk he would take if he wants to transfer within the league. Sticking with those two teams, one of one of the players that Texas was able to flip for Baylor earlier was uh, Byron Murphy. What do you think went into that? Well, I think a couple things went into it. I mean, obviously, Baylor's season, 
hurt. Uh, Let's face it. I think that did play a factor here. And the fact that even though Texas was dealing with uncertainty with Tom Herman's future, I think just the fact that they still are Texas and they can, you know, they can sell it regardless of what kind of season they're having. I think they just played in his ear to a certain extent. I I personally think this is the toughest loss that Baylor had of all the recruiting uh, during the course of the year, because when you find a really good defensive lineman, like I think Murphy is, it's really hard to replace that. And I think that's where Baylor's going to have to go on to the grad transfer market or just the transfer market itself or into the JUCOs to find somebody like that. I mean, basically, guys, he was going to be the nose tackle for this team uh, for the next four years. And, and, I was, and I was really hurting for Baylor when they lost him. Would you look at Amani Watkins? I, I know Baylor was looking at him. It, there was talks of uh, he had his top four out there. You had Texas A&M in the mix, Mississippi State. Both of those schools appear to have moved away from him. Do you think that Baylor is another option for him now? I think he, he could be, but I don't think it's tomorrow. I, I, I think it's, it's – I, I don't really know. It's just, I, I get the sense that Baylor's kind of warm and – not as warm and fuzzy on, on him as they were at the beginning when they offered him, which was a late offer, but at the same time they're still in it. And, and I don't know what his situation is. I've talked to several people about his situation, and no one can get a pulse on this with him. And as talented as he is, and of course as fast as he is, there has to be something different here that's that's not adding up. Because I know, as you said, the you know the Aggies have kind of moved on, and Mississippi State has moved on. I talked to people at Tech, and they're kind of like, I don't see that. But I mean, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Watkins doesn't sign tomorrow and has to delay it until February. I know there's a lot of talk right now, obviously about the transfer portal, and when you look, the astounding number of players who are entering it. What impact do you think the transfer portal is going to have on recruiting? I know it's having an impact now, but especially over these next couple of years. Well, especially with this year, because the NCAA obviously granted uh, you know eligibility-free year for everyone, if you want to call it like that, and it's going to flood the market. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all those guys that are hitting the market, whether it's going to be JUCO or FCS or G5 schools, are automatically going to find a place to play. I mean, they could get lost, if you will, in the ocean and just never hook on somewhere. I mean, that's kind of the pitfall of this, is that guys can leave programs and think that they're going to have a better opportunity somewhere else, but they may. But some of them are going to deal with the reality that the market isn't as flooded for them as they think it is. You know, there's a difference between maybe, and this is hypothetical here, where you have an offensive lineman from Western Kentucky who thinks that he's got a shot somewhere versus perhaps like, like to Quindon Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, who was highly touted coming up. There's different ways of looking at this, and whatever market is out there is going to be different. You know, the one thing I heard about to Quindon, though, is that I don't know if he would actually be tra- – if he transfers, if he's going to actually go go somewhere as a quarterback. I know some people have thought of him as maybe being a linebacker, but, again, I don't – but, again, I, that's all up in the air because he just hit the market today. Right. So uh, when, tomorrow when everything's all said and done and we look back on this recruiting class for Baylor, who do you think the headliner is going to be? Well, as, as I mentioned, I still think it's going to be uh, with Jordan Jenkins and, and Kyron Drones. Uh, I think the two – I really think the guy that I'm really intrigued about is going to be Jackie Marshall uh, out of Louisiana. He's a linebacker, 6'3", 230 pounds, a guy that recru- – that, uh, you know, out of East St. Bernard, that I really like him a lot. And he's the kind of guy that I think if you want to keep him at 230 or even push him up to maybe 245 in college, that he can be a big linebacker for in the middle. Or if you want to 
beef him up higher to maybe even 270, 275, that you could put him at defensive end. He's a guy that I like uh, quite a bit. Uh, the other guys that I, that I would like that I think have a chance to do something would be on the offensive line. That's going to be Ryan Legale at Dallas Jesuit and Connor Heffern in, at Georgetown. It, look, the way Baylor's trying to build this offensive line class is that they're trying to find some guys that can fortify the future. They're still kind of going to be, for 2021, looking for maybe some stopgap measure guys mm. to hold them over for another year while they're bringing the likes of, of, of Heffern in and Ryan Lingell and even Tate Williams out of Wall uh, along, bring them along in the next couple of years. But I think if, if Baylor's football program is going to be really playing at a championship level, which everyone hopes they can get back to, like we saw in 13 and 14, it's going to have to be at the offensive line because the offensive line has been a problem for this program pretty much going back to 2016. So looking ahead right now, who are some of the 2022 and 2023 guys that people should be on the lookout for? Well, I think from a 2022 standpoint, I really like, uh, you know, it, it's really hard. Of course, course, remember, you know, they, they've got the one commit uh, in 2022 mm-hmm. for, for them right now. But I think from, from a 2022 standpoint, you can always look for, for quarterbacks. So that, that'll always be the case from them. I, you know, a couple of guys that I like from this would be, uh, from, a, from a wider receiver perspective, I like Evan Stewart. He's a kid out of Frisco. Uh, I, I really like this one running back that they have out of, uh, out of Tyler and uh, uh, Jamarian uh, Miller. He's a kid mm-hmm. that I like quite a bit and I know Baylor has started on him pretty good on them uh Vincent Page linebacker out of Fort Worth Nolan and Curry Thomas the fourth he's a defensive lineman out of Nolan those are two 2022 kids that I think that Baylor has gotten off to a really good start with them now how this all kind of plays out over the time I, I don't know that just yet but I, I do know that Baylor has done a good job of establishing a footprint with those with those two guys 2023 it's still a little bit too early for me because you know, that can change so much. These are kids that just are finishing up their sophomore years in high school. Talking with Kevin Lonquist from SikkimSports.com. Kevin, let me ask you a little bit about the coaching staff, uh, kind of uh, specifically Larry Fedora. Identity offensive-wise, did, did you, do you felt like, did you feel like this team this year had an identity? Uh, you know, was Charlie Brewer – did you ever feel he was comfortable and, and, and then try to roll that into a recruiting aspect of thinking, you know, have they got a quarterback that they feel like can come in here and maybe be that starter to, to sit and learn for a year and then, you know, go with a system that, quite frankly, I'm not sure I can put my finger on exactly what the identity of what Larry Fedora is wanting to do. Well, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, there's obviously the way they struggled. I think they were just looking to try and find some sort of consistency the, the two things that were lacking here was again a lack of a running game and they didn't really have a big vertical threat unless you want to look at rj sneed making some great acrobatic catches um, in a couple of games this year but i think from a quarterback standpoint i think we just came to realize that charlie just wasn't the kind of fit that larry needs for this offense and i think you know if you bring in a guy like uh from Jacob Zeno, who I, you know, he showed some things in the, you know, wrapping things up against Oklahoma State on Saturday. Uh, but I kind of look more at what Jacob did in the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma, and then a little bit against about what he did against Georgia. The arm, I mean, the arm strength is there. It it jumps out of his arm quickly, and this is where I think 
that they want to be a little bit more vertical. I think this offense, I think they felt like with this offense that they probably had to go dink and dunk and try and keep Charlie in the pocket. And then when they realized during the course of the year that they've got to freelance, let Charlie freelance a little bit more, they had to go that way. But again, when you're basically running out of running backs and you can't block for it, I think that's the real difficulty here. I know they want to be balanced. I know they want to spread the field with this team. But it really comes back to getting the trigger man going there. And I think that's where Jacob Zeno, uh, if he is the presumed starter in 2021, uh, he'll get the first shot to do this. I think what they will probably want to do, too, with drone signing tomorrow is – I would not be a bit surprised if they go out on the on the transfer market, maybe find a, a grad transfer to maybe be the facilitator uh, for that year because it's, that position is going to be pretty young uh, in 2021. Kevin, let me ask you. Too. Yeah, let me ask you this: What do you what do you guys got on Sikkim on, on SikkimSportsRightNow.com? Tell me a little bit about what you're writing about and what's out there. Sure. Well, we have a weekly stat chart of all the commits, so that update is already there. We're per, we're getting everyone prepped for uh, for the sign, for signing day on Wednesday, and then we're also uh, kind of talk a little bit about the seniors who obviously had a full year, but you know there's about 12 of them, and a couple of them have already made decisions about where we think what their future is going to be. Could they come back? Would they be willing to, or, or are they going to come back, or are they not going to come back? And of course, I already had up there about John Lovett saying I don't think he's coming back, and of course that when I posted that was right about the same time when he announced that he was leaving. So things of that nature. And of course we'll have a comprehensive report uh, when signing day uh, unfolds on Wednesday. Well, listen, I I know this is a busy time of year. I know you guys are kind of crunching it down and jockeying for all the best information. I appreciate you taking time to jump on with us today. Always a pleasure guys. You have a great day. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks a lot. You too. There he goes. Kevin Lonquist.